Okay, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. And in this episode, I spoke to Lauren O'Donnell, the founder of Oatsu, an overnight oats brand that is plant-based, probiotic-rich, and all-round delicious breakfast pots. Lauren was working within the financial industry and quit to pursue Otsu, so I chat to her about where the idea actually came from and her thought process behind deciding to go full-time on her passion. It's a really cool story and I really recommend staying to the end because she's giving a very exclusive discount code to all of you lot that stay till the very end. My personal favorite of all her flavors was the Banana Biscoff, absolutely amazing. So if you do use the discount code at the very end, Try to get that one in your order because it's a really good one. Anyways, uh, that takes me to this week's shout out. So in this week's shout out, it's not actually going to anyone that's left a written review on Apple Podcasts. That'll be the next episode. And I'll tell you why in a second. But if you do want to feature in the next episode in the form of a shout out from me, then be sure to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts and I'll definitely give you a shout out. But in this week's shout out, it actually goes to Erafili uh, Gunari, who, was, who is the founder of the Z-Link. And the reason why she's getting a shout out, she's from episode 28 on on the podcast if you want to go back and listen. But she was recently named Forbes 30 Under 30. So that's why she's getting this week's shout out because it's a massive congratulations to her. I know it's a big dream come true for her and um, it's just a massive credit to what she's doing with with the Z-Link. And yeah, massive congrats to her. If you do want to listen to her journey and everything, you know, up until the point where she did win uh, Forbes 30 Under 30, be sure to listen to number 28, episode number 28 on the Millennial Entrepreneur Podcast. Go back and listen because it's a really good episode. It's one of my favorites. I'll remind you again, if you want to feature in next week's episode in the form of a shout out from me, leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure it's five stars as well. And I'll give you a shout out in the next episode. So without further ado, let's get on with the episode. Okay. Hey, Lauren, how are you doing? Hey, Sina. I'm really, really good. I'm so excited to be on this podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, me too. It's been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming because I've been following your brand for quite a while. I actually voted for you as well in the um, in the competition that you were just in. Oh, thank so, you. That really means a yeah. lot. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I um, made it to the finals of the Female Startup of the Year 2020 Awards by Enterprise Nation. Um, so got to the final three of 355 applicants, I think, in total. And the selection wow. from 10 to 3 was all based on public votes. So I'm really, really grateful. That really means a lot. Um, but yeah, I just had the finals pitch today, um, which was an amazing experience. Unfortunately, I wasn't crowned the winner and that went to an amazing, yeah, winner, Jess, but um, had an amazing, yeah, just amazing experience pitching in front of hundreds of guests virtually, <laughs> which was a unique experience. How many people were there? Like, did they give you a number? Did you know how many people that like were listening or behind the computer screens? Yeah, I think it was about like 200 to 300 or so. So a lot. It would have been it would have got a lot crazy. more. And I think that is a lot of people I've never pitched to that many people before I think the most I've pitched to was maybe f- like 60 70 and I thought that was quite big <laughs> the 200 to 300 is a lot of people it is you don't you don't feel it when it's virtual because you can't see any faces apart from the judges faces way maybe yeah reduce my nerves a bit that's true yeah was it was it weirder pitching over like zoom than it was in person yeah, I guess the only other pitch experience that I've had like recently about this business has been when I pitched to win a it was to win a one win a month's membership at a co-working space, which I ended up winning and was amazing, but there was only maybe like 
20 people there and basically just a, a lot of people who applied <laughs> um so it was yeah it was I don't know it, it wasn't too bad to be honest over zoom it's just like you know just like speaking to a few people on a zoom call but the fact that it's so time bound, it was only three minutes and you have to explain like everything about your business to date and all your future plans. And yeah, it's just a lot to get in and they were really strict on time. So I had to, had to practice quite a lot, but it was definitely a good experience for in the future. If I want to pitch for investment or to get into retailers to buyers, then I'll definitely know exactly kind of what I want to say about my business and brand. Now I can already hear a lot of the audience members what does Lauren do? And I'll actually answer that question because she was kind enough to send me a few samples of what she does. And they are very delicious. They're really good. My favorite flavor was, I quite like the banana one. That was my yeah. favorite. I can't remember the exact name of it, but that was my favorite one. Banana Biscoff. I think everyone loves a bit of Biscoff, don't they? So what is it? What's the <laughs> whole idea? What do you do? So uh, yeah, I'm the founder of Otsu. So that is... Um, basically, we help busy people, predominantly millennial and skewed a bit more towards women, get time back in the morning through our dairy-free, gut-friendly, oat-based breakfast pots. Um, so inspired by my half-Japanese heritage, we've also infused our overnight oats with amazake, which is an ancient Japanese cultured grain, which is known for its gut health benefits and also for aiding longevity in Japan. Um, and our overnight oats are packaged in glass jars. And we also donate a portion of our sales to the Girls Network who empower young women through mentoring opportunities. So I guess that's a brand in a nutshell. And the the idea came about from, um, I was working after, after uni, I was working in a graduate scheme for four years. Um, I was working in the city in the UK, but then also in Hong Kong. And during that time I was preparing overnight oats for breakfast in the evenings and I'd then eat them at my desk in the morning because I found that it was the only thing that would keep me full until lunchtime um, and I'd often want to go to the gym um, at work if I could so could eat after that but when I didn't have time to make them the night before um, my last job was in Canary Wharf and I just couldn't find anything there that was like on par with my overnight oats they just weren't many affordable plant-based breakfasts that were delicious in the Waitrose there or in like the cafes the oats that I found in like Costa and stuff just weren't really great in my opinion. So I thought I've got to make this a thing. And I could see it had come out in America. Um, it was doing really well there. And I just thought this is going to be the next big thing. So what, like, did you just jump at it? Like what was the sort of like, yeah, because I guess I see a lot of things that I think will be quite big in the future. Yeah. Very rare that I jump on them. I do yeah. jump on maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I have the idea to. I only pursue maybe like 2% of it, but yeah. So what was the whole process after that? So I, so during that last role of mine in corporate, I signed up to go to this enterprise nation course for under thirties who had a business idea, who wanted to make it a reality. So I'd go in the evenings once a week. And in that course, they made us start an Instagram account for our business and actually like take action on it. So that was super like scary with like no followers, no pictures, no prototype, nothing. Um, but it really helped just build out that community. And I, I asked if I could give out some overnight oat pots at the end to everyone to get feedback and everyone loved them. And we kept meeting up the course attendees afterwards and people from the course then every week were like, oh, can we actually like buy some and bring them back and have them for breakfast? So they became my first customers. And I could kind of see, I guess it, it had started to take, 
yeah take shape and it kind of had legs and people were starting to message me on Instagram as well to like purchase them and I didn't yet have a website but I started to take um, payment through Instagram it was already dodgy I was just, like sending my bank transfer me and I'll come and I'll come and deliver it to you so I was doing that I was delivering orders on the tube like all across London um you know a couple of times a week which was insane but I got got used to it and I ended up leaving my job which sounds like a massive step but it was something that was in the back of my mind for quite a long time like over the last couple of years before I left I thought I do I've always been into like health and wellness and I thought I want to do something to do with that and I thought oh could I move to a food startup but there weren't that many particular jobs in marketing and social media which is what I focused on even though I was in the finance industry in food startups so the roles weren't exactly there and I thought I've got this really great idea so I think I'm just going to start this myself rather than wait around for the perfect role to appear on the market so that's how it came about. Was it weird like getting I mean I guess it must have felt quite strange that first sort of few customers that like just people that came up to you and they they were like we really like it could we actually buy some like what was the like how did that feel? Yeah, it is weird. I was hoping that someone would kind of, I was hoping someone would say that. So it felt amazing because at that time, as I mentioned, I was like, I knew I was going to leave my job. So I thought, okay, some friends have bought them. That's cool. But is anyone that I don't know going to want to buy these and put their money, I guess, where their mouth is? So it really gave me validation when they did. And I also went to some food markets as well, because I thought I really want to see how it does there. And it sold quite well there, despite it being, it was like late November, early December, like freezing, freezing cold, but managed to sell kind of more than I expected. So yeah, it, it was good validation. And I think it's important that you see that someone actually does want to purchase your product. And it's not, yeah, it's not just someone being like, yeah, that's great. Or your mom and dad being like, yeah, wonderful. Um, <laughs> you could do a survey and ask if there's, if there's, if there's intent to purchase but it's really not the same I guess yeah it's not the same as people actually buying it and eating the product itself like yeah I think that's so cool when you actually decided like I I think this is the really interesting thing is that obviously so at what stage did you actually decide I want to leave my job was it literally when you had the idea was it when you were getting sort of initial sales like what point was it it was still an idea I only made my first sales just around the time I was leaving my job. So what I will say is I probably wouldn't have left so quickly. Um, It would have really depended, basically it depends on the job that you're in. If you're finding it manageable to work on your business while you're in the job on the side, then I think it's always beneficial to have that income coming in. And I can't stress enough like how different it is to not have any income anymore. I was able to move back home, which helped massively. I don't think I would have been able to start a business had I been renting. And I don't know how some founders are able to do that if they've got rent or if they've got a mortgage. Um, But I was able to move home, which significantly reduced my costs. And then the job I the job it was it was quite a challenging role basically and it was a new one so it's it's easier to leave I think when it's new and you realize okay I don't know if I want to keep doing this particular role for the next however many years I've always had this dream of doing this other thing so it was more like okay why don't I just make it happen now you know till I get too invested in the corporate ladder and too maybe used to the the pay kind of coming in every single month 
Yeah, but I mean, I guess yeah, you can get really comfortable within the, within the like salary and, and stuff. But like, do you think it was a good decision? Like, do you do you ever like come up with moments where you you might not, you know, you, you do regret it sometimes? I think I knew I wanted to move into a different role or environment. Like I said, I did actually really want to move into a food startup and kind of learn the ropes before maybe doing this myself. But it's just unfortunate that at that time there weren't any roles available. And I don't know if that's a blessing in disguise, because if there had been another role, I wouldn't have started Otsu. And definitely sometimes I do sometimes think, hmm, what would it have been like to still be in my job? But the only positive, I think, is having that regular income, really, that's like the really tangible. That's a really tangible benefit. I don't miss a lot of the other aspects from working in the corporate world. I didn't necessarily feel super connected and on the same page in terms of my life goals and ambitions and just with with all my colleagues like as you probably experience especially like in the finance industry there's just it's, it's just so different especially if you're one of the only few young people who are in your company you might not share the same values as others depending on the demographic of your office um so yeah overall I definitely don't I, I wouldn't say I regret it like very like very much at all um it's just about being able practically to survive I guess and you may have to take on a part-time job I had a part-time job which unfortunately stopped over lockdown so it was sampling um other brands foods in places like Planet Organic and Whole Foods because I just wanted to get into the store get a feel for the different brands and what's there so I did that for a, a few months which helped so how long how long has this whole like journey been so ever since the the I guess the creation of the Instagram was the first step uh, to the point where we are right now, to the point where you're on the most prestigious podcast, <laughs> to the point where you're on where you're on the Millennium Entrepreneur. It's been about a year. It's been about a year in total. Um, so I left at the end of October. So I left my job a week in a week's time. It will have been a year, which is so crazy to look back on. Um, it's yeah, it's insane. So. From like the outside, you know, externally looking in at your Instagram and your your pages, and you know, you you do try to 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 put your face out out there on your Instagram all the time. Like you're always speaking to your followers, which I really really like as well, by the way, because it, it does show like a real sort of. I I feel like I'm following you. I feel like I'm on the journey with you, oh. and I really like it when I find brands where I do connect to them like that. Yeah. Definitely. Um. <clears throat> what was my question behind that though <laughs> were you asking um, the steps that I took in that last year or yeah so how's that actually been within the last year like I, cause I from the outside it looks like there's been a lot of growth it's interesting you say that and it's really nice to hear someone from the outside say that you know they like the brand or they like to see what you're doing and that they think it's growing really well because it is quite challenging when you are the sole founder and day-to-day Day to day, you're just kind of going along every day. You have to think about, OK, what's going to be the most important step that I can take that's going to like move my business forward? Often you're trying to be proactive in stuff, but sometimes it's just about like responding to like emails and being reactive. So sometimes you're not sure, especially without a manager, exactly how you're doing compared to in the corporate world where you have those like regular check ins and, and annual, I guess, reviews. But what was the question again <laughs> how was the how was what's, the, what's the growth been like yeah so I think it has been growing month on month and especially since my online store started so it's been going 
really steadily actually which has been really nice to see um it started off like really small and then as soon as I got the online store and people from across the UK were able to place an order for those breakfast bundles to be delivered to their door and especially because it was in lockdown and people were looking to look after themselves and their immunity and they wanted something that could be yeah just delivered that was convenient and fresh and, and yummy um I think that actually helped us in a way um so yeah it's just been growing month on month in terms of our direct to consumer orders um and then at the same time I've been trying to get them um listed in coffee shops and co-working spaces alongside that and when a coffee shop does place an order it's, it's a lot bigger than what a, a direct to consumer order will be so and I am still making them single-handedly at home which is a big undertaking I'm looking for a manufacturer to outsource manufacturing too, but I'm just trying to juggle as much of the making and the doing as I can. I'm now able to rely on a courier to deliver them. I'm not delivering all the orders myself. Um, and yeah, just trying to not only juggle making consumer orders and um, more B2B orders for the coffee shops, but I'm also really trying to look for a manufacturing partner because that's going to be the key to scale up the production and allow me to get them into stores like Planet Organic and Whole Foods um, and Waitrose and bigger stores because they do require you to have an accredited manufacturer that produces them. Yeah, I've heard that. It's, it's like salsa, isn't it? The the yeah. the, the factories that, that produce them. Yeah, yeah, salsa or BRC accreditation. For any people that want to start their own food business, that's quite an important little little fact for you. Um, <laughs> I don't know how many people listening would be would be interested in doing that, but I mean, we have done podcasts before where we've listened, where we've spoken to food founders, and those those episodes seem to do like pretty positive. Like people do like them a lot. I don't know whether that's like they like the story because it's like a thing that they can actually taste. I don't know, or they like the sort of idea of starting their own food business. I don't know, but it's ones that I really enjoy doing as well. So many people have different food ideas and it's something that everyone can picture and they can enjoy. Like it's really easy to understand. Like not everyone will understand like maybe a complex complex financial or tech startup concept, but food, like everyone loves it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really accessible. But like so you've grown you've grown the Instagram quite big now. Like you've I, I looked like it's a couple of thousand followers now. Like how have you kind of grown the brand? I've grown the brand when when you say the word brand I do think of it in terms of like what the how it's portrayed kind of visually and aesthetically and I can share about how I ended up like working on the design and branding with a professional and that was the first uh, investment that I made into the business um, but in terms of the Instagram and how I've grown that I think so I I was um, I've had like a fair amount of experience managing social media accounts. So in my last job, I was a social media manager for HSBC, and before that, I was a social media manager at Fidelity, which is an asset management firm. Even though I worked, I started off in like a, a very broad graduate scheme, which included finance like finance roles and investment roles, because I had in the back of my mind that I wanted to do something more, more creative and more aligned with my interests in the future. Even though I started in that industry, I thought. The, the best place for me to be in that big corporate would be in the marketing department. And um, so that's kind of how I ended up in in those roles. Um, I think I knew I had to be, I knew I just wanted to be active on there. I had, I guess I focused on Instagram because it was where I, I enjoyed spending my time, I guess, out of all of the platforms the most. And I enjoyed using it for my own like personal Instagram. And yeah, I just knew that, that I guess that was going to be where people who may purchase the product would be 
I set up a Facebook as well, which I don't use as much, but I do find that it's a little bit of an older demographic that do get in touch with me through there. And interestingly, the um, the coffee shop that I get the most orders from actually found me through Facebook. So that's cool. And then I've actually shared more. Yeah, I shared more on LinkedIn as well. And that was quite an interesting challenge and hurdle at the beginning because all of my old colleagues from the various jobs I'd been in, I knew what on there and they were going to be the ones that were going to see my posts and engage. And you're like, oh God, I don't know if I want to see my old manager to see, you know, what I'm up to if I'm going to be sharing like a video um, blog of like how my week's gone. But I've kind of got over that now and I'm just sharing my wins on there as well. And everyone's been super supportive and I've connected with loads of food entrepreneurs on there. But yeah, Instagram, I think I love to show behind the scenes and do lots of stories. Like you mentioned, um, I just like to take like to take people on the journey. And similarly, I love to see when people do that on their own Instagram accounts and you get a feel and it's, it just doesn't feel super corporate. So I think I'm going to continue doing that. Actually, someone who I've come across recently who does that as well, or who did that more in the beginning, another food entrepreneur, Olivia's Kitchen. She's raised like two million in a crowdfunding campaign now and she stopped in so many stores. But from the early days, she shared quite a lot on her Instagram and has gone on to do amazingly well. So yeah, she's been a big inspiration. Um, but aside from stories, I also do regular Instagram live interviews with other food startup founders because I, I benefit from that because I love to hear like how they got started and pick up tips. Exactly. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> but yeah, I just I just try and I just try and be as active basically as I can on there. And I'm just finally getting my head around reels ish, but I still need to practice those, I think. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people like dip their toe in them and like it it seems like I try to read some people post real and then I try to read what they're saying, but it just moves on to the next thing as soon as I like I, there's not enough time. I and I, I I do have a bit of sympathy for them because it's like it's a new thing so people are still learning how to do them i posted my first ever linkedin story linkedin are doing stories now which is i think a bit i think it's a bit weird actually it doesn't really i feel like it doesn't really belong there but you know they put them there it is what it is we can adapt i put my first story on there i think i just put so i did an episode uh last week with a girl called annabelle about uh creating a fashion brand for swimwear and so I posted a preview of that on the story. Um, so I, I basically split up like a uh, like a 40 second video into three different segments. And I put it as like three different stories. I got maybe, I don't know, five views on it. I got so little views on it. I was like, yeah, I don't think people would like this very much. I didn't get any views on it. They haven't seen it yet. It's weird because they say that, or Gary V and people like that say that you, you get the most organic reach ever on LinkedIn and TikTok right now, but then maybe not for maybe not for LinkedIn stories. I do post on LinkedIn actually about the, the podcast and I do, you know, I do get quite a, f- a lot of new followers from that. And I think that is what like Gary Vee and because the organic reach is pretty good yeah. because as soon as like the, you know, people like it, then it gets shared onto other people, you know, different circles that I might, you know, I don't know. So yeah, it does really help to do that. Whereas Instagram is very much like it's your own circle, obviously. And then people have to actively like share it for other people to see. Whereas LinkedIn, yeah. they it's very, you know, it's less effort because they just, they just, they don't even know they're doing it. And most of the time they're just liking the, 
the post and it just gets shared. So that's why LinkedIn is really good on that regard. It is. One thing I would also say on Instagram is if you are starting a business, I'd recommend reaching out to other startups that don't have a competing product but are in the same space so for me that might be a vegan food product or maybe even just a vegan non-food product and you can kind of yeah support each other and each other's followers end up following you guys so every time I do a giveaway I end up growing my Instagram account by 200 to 250 followers which yeah which is great so that's a great key that is a top tip from Lauren over there. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah, whenever I do like uh, collaborations with other podcasters, the, po- the it does grow quite a bit as well. Same thing because, you know, sharing audiences and all of that, uh, people have similar interests and you're not taking the spotlight from them. It's just you're just sharing, you know, it's good. Um, so I recommend that as well. But like there was a funny thing that you said about Instagram that I've heard actually twice now. I didn't really think it was possible before, but so talking about Annabelle, she was also very surprised that people were buying her swimwear on Instagram. She was like, who would actually do that? Like who would trust me to just basically like give their money over Instagram to me? And then you've just said that now. So I'm starting to think, is that a thing? Like people, people do actually part with their money on Instagram. Is that a viable way to start a business selling on Instagram? Maybe. I think so. Because everyone's on there. That's where the attention is at the moment. And I know Instagram has recently set up a shop thing, like a shop feature. So maybe through there might be a more legit way than just doing it through DMs. But when I when I say that I sold through it, like I did make it clear in my posts that um, I was selling overnight oat bundles. And if anyone wanted more information to DM me, so when they came through, I'd send them a menu and then, yeah, just say, if you're interested in buying, then I'll send you bank details, which kind of sounds, yeah, sounds a bit dodgy when I say it. It, do, it does sound dodgy, doesn't it? But I mean, like, it's the same. If you actually think about it, it's the same thing that would actually happen, I guess. I mean, I guess with stuff like PayPal, there's a bit more protection, and I guess. But like, if you buy stuff online on like an e-commerce site, yeah. it's basically the same thing. I have seen someone I know who, when I've purchased her like baked goods, she sent me an iZettle link. So iZettle's the payment, the payment kind of, what do you call it, card reader. So she sent it through there and that looked, I guess, quite legit. So that could be an option or you could do it through PayPal. Um, but I'd say if you can build an online shop, um, ideally through Shopify, that's ideal for e-commerce, then definitely do that. It's easier for you. You don't have to send your menu over and send your payment details over, send confirmation. It's just all taken care of. You So yours is with Shopify, Shopify at the moment? Yeah, yeah. So how was the process like, because uh, you said that you were selling it before your Shopify, before your online store launched. So what was the sort of experience going from like selling just from like social media channels to then going to your own online store? Like, did it kind of blow up from there? Like, what was the sort of, what happened? I just knew that I needed to do that to like, A, give my Instagram online shop uh, hybrid credibility. Yeah, it gives it more legitimacy, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, and then also, so people could just see what, what, what your offer was to sell when you weren't there to DM them. And it's like a business card or it's like a catalog for you basically online that's what the website is so it's definitely helped it took a little while to build I ended up initially trying to hire someone through like people per hour or Upwork 
um the website that was built wasn't amazing it was super cheap though so it wasn't too bad um and I ended up just yeah changing it basically from there myself and on Shopify you, there are so many themes that you can just swap in and out test different ones and then I just decided on one and you know change the colors according to my color palette at the same time I was also working with a graphic designer um, and designed my logo and the labels on the front of my overnight oat pots so yeah managed to get the branding from that onto the website and yeah I guess people have said that they think it, it looks really nice um so that's yeah we're really good I guess to hear that because when you build something yourself you're never quite sure if it's like hit the mark it, it's it's decent enough for now um and it definitely frees up time for me because I get a ping when I get an order come through and, and that's all I have to do. I just need to fulfill it basically, um, which is a lot of work obviously, but before it was just so much um, back and forth within the DMs. I know many of you have thought about starting your own food business in so many different niches. I get those sort of messages quite a lot actually. And that's why I've had Lauren on the podcast. But I wanted to hone down deeper as to how she actually started in terms of like funding, because with any sort of business, there's always going to be some sort of a funding level required to actually start. So how Otsu came to life from a financial standpoint and also where she sees the future of the funding for the business. So, yeah, I had some savings from my previous job and I've basically been going off of that. I, I I went to lots of events in the early days and heard about a lot of the funding options, but they all sounded like they're a bit further down the line than from where I was at. So things like seeking angel investment and equity and reward-based crowdfunding campaigns and down the line from that venture capital. But it's good that I know about these things now, but I still think it's quite a way off because the more I listen to founders, the more I hear them say that, you don't want to give away a lot of equity and basically it's even preferential to go to debt-based financing if you can um, do that rather than give away like a slice of the the valuable pie. So yeah, maybe maybe crowdfunding would be something that I'd look to do over the next year because I set something to bear in mind is within the first two years of setting up your company as a limited company, if you do do that, is you've got like a two-year uh time frame in order to get SEIS tax benefit which is basically where if you have an investor they get a tax benefit and it's a really great benefit for them so if you so I've been thinking okay maybe I'll raise within the first two years but I don't want to rush it just for that reason um, I'm going to try and build it out as much as I can just on my own savings and I have been keeping it very lean and I see other startups that spend like so much on marketing Facebook ads maybe going to a branding agency branding agencies can cost like 15 or 20 grand one of the quotes was that I got when I, when I tried to find out in the early days and I think that's probably something that I might look into after I yeah after I've grown much more but for the moment I thought the key thing I wanted to get was like a branding and designer freelancer that was more affordable to work on yeah just getting me to have to the point where my packaging looks credible um and then I've just yeah I've just been doing most of it myself so far to be honest but in the future I am going to look to bring on a team member and I want to outsource the manufacturing so paying for that first run is good I might I might 
myself if I can, but I may have to raise. But that's all you really need, really. Like it, it's. I feel like to start, it's not mm. that expensive. Like no, it's not. Just to test out if if people will actually like your product, it's not expensive at all. I mean, what like what do you think about that? Yeah, I don't think it is expensive. Another major, um, um, like a, a big cost of mine is packaging. So as a chilled product, you have to invest in like a really good insulated box and ice packs and, and all of that. And they come in the hundreds. So that's quite a big investment. And then the ingredients you can get online, a lot of them in larger quantities, which is more affordable than from buying at the supermarkets. But really, that's all your, those are all your costs if you're going to be producing at home. If you don't have a suitable like home kitchen to use and you might have to hire a commercial kitchen um, but I wouldn't recommend doing so unless you really, if, unless you really have to. And I would say just try and test it and see if you're getting people buying because that's the biggest, yeah, it, indicator of if there's interest. If you were ever going to raise investment in the future, someone wants to know like what's your revenue, like how many customers have you got, what's your customer retention rate. So and get as much sales as you can um, and as cheaply as you can I think in the early days but stuff like Kickstarter sounds like pretty good like so one of my friends is recently uh shouts Ted Ted Lawler he's just put his product on Kickstarter but um yeah he just put his product on Kickstarter and it seems like a pretty cool place not he hasn't gone down the food routes but for food as well it would work really well and I've seen a lot of food products on there you're not giving up any equity uh, you're finding out if people like the product because they're willing to actually buy it. You're getting a lot of people involved, like you're getting early, early customers, traction, and as well, like you're just getting you're getting funding as well. So it, for me, it seems like a very cool way to raise capital without giving away equ- equity while also growing your business. But it's a, is it a rewards-based pra- platform, Kickstarter? But so you sell, you can sell your product on there you charge a bit more because it's also you know leading to investment as well so it's not just the the product i know a couple of people who've done rewards based um like funding like crowdfunding and i think i've I've always heard afterwards like how much physical work it is to fulfill the rewards afterwards and how it can end up going on for up to 12 months after that so yeah i it depends. It completely depends case by case what you're offering. But just if if you're give, if you're saying to people like I'll give you some of my products, and if you're going to be hand making those products, and if a thousand people you know want to get in on the action, like you're going to be in the kitchen, um, and you're going to have to juggle that with all the other normal orders that you're getting through. So yeah, I haven't haven't gone down that route so far. But I agree that crowdfunding in general is a good way to get brand awareness. Um, yeah. It, although they say it's not smart money, so angel investors can bring lots of contacts and industry experience. Yeah, crowdfund supporters might not be able to. But um, I have actually heard just that it's it might be good to start off by trying to find some angel investors to if you know to invest into your crowdfunding campaign so that you can start off with it being like. 40% funded from the get-go and apparently you really need to have that 40% before you start so that it looks like it's a popular campaign um, and then you get more kind of other people investing in the later stages yeah it builds the momentum really really quickly so like and also it's not just 40% in one go it's 40% over like a few days to push yeah. the algorithm to push it you know to other people and yeah. I've seen I've seen a lot of people do that as well, and I I think that that's what leads to a lot of success and like overfunding as well. 
exactly. you have to have that investment like, lined up beforehand though you do you do so it's a lot it's a lot to think about and it's like a full-time job i think doing a crowdfunding campaign but probably worth it <laughs> so we've got like a couple minutes left i really want to find out where you actually see the future of, of otsu because obviously you can't keep making it by yourself and you're you're obviously you're finding a manufacturer but in terms of like where you want to see the product so you said supermarkets cafes that sort of thing yeah so i so i've got two products that i'm focusing on at the moment so the first is the overnight oat pot that i currently make yeah that i currently make and we've got those in six different flavors um and i want to partner with a manufacturer who can help us scale the production of those that is proving more challenging because with a chilled shorter shelf life product it's always harder than ambient um, and long shelf life but that's the core focus and then also I want to develop a ambient dry overnight oat mix in pouches so something that you just add milk to that you can keep in the cupboard and make your own overnight oats like anytime that you feel like it um, and I want to get them into yeah stores like Planet Organic, Whole Foods, Selfridges, Waitrose and other retailers down the line. And I, w- I want Oatsy to become the UK's leading plant based gut friendly breakfast brand. Yeah, I think I think it's really cool. And I think you are on the way of doing that because your branding is like on point. I think you are a very credible person to push the product as well. Like you're yeah, I think everything about the product, it tastes good. That's, that's also really important. Um, all of that stuff, I think combined yeah i think we'll lead will lead to that are you stocked anywhere that people can buy at the moment like anywhere like big at the well we're working on the bigger ones right now but it's just um a couple of local coffee shops so if anyone's in brentwood we're in um woodland coffee shop in brentwood um and then we were in the co dalston and starting up again there um, but mainly you can get them in my online store which is otsu.co.uk and I've actually got a um, little discount code for anyone listening if you did want to try a bundle of oats so if you wanted to get 10% off you can use the code MEPOD. That stands for Millennium Entrepreneur Pod for those guys that are a bit slow. <laughs> okay it's been an absolute pleasure having you on thank you so much for coming on and this is this is a conversation we wanted to have for a long time so I'm, I'm so glad to finally have you on the podcast. How can people stay in touch with you and your 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 journey Otsu going into the future? Yeah, thanks so much. It's been so much fun speaking to you. And I'm really excited to also hear about what you do on your little startup journey that's um, just starting that sounds really, really exciting. Um, So if you want to keep in touch, then feel free to follow us on Instagram um, and Facebook. We're on Otsu, so that's O-A-T-S-U underscore. And then as I mentioned, our online shop is otsu.co.uk and for 10% off, you can use that code M-E-Pod. And yeah, I'd love to connect with any any startup founders that want to get into the food space. And if you've got any questions, you can also reach me on LinkedIn. I'm Lauren O'Donnell on there. Okay, sweet. Thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on again. And I'm sure I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, 100%. Thanks so much, Sina. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. Thank you so much for staying to the very end as well. Uh, you got your exclusive discount code from, from Lauren and Otsu. So be sure to use it. Uh, it's just to remind you again, it's M-E-P-O-D. So M-E-P-O-D stands for <laughs> Millennial Entrepreneur Pod. And yeah, that will give you a discount with your order with Otsu uh, on their website. So yeah, nice little benefit for listening. <laughs> but if you also, just to remind you, if you want to get a shout out in the next episode, be sure to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts 
make sure it's five stars too and i'll give you a shout out in the next episode so thank you so much for listening again and i'll see you in the next episode